Before we talk about the Lord, let's talk with him. Join me in a prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that the words of that hymn be the words of our heart, that you would cause us, make us servants walking in your footsteps, making a difference in the world. And now we ask that your Holy Spirit would do what your Holy Spirit does so well. Take words that are written on the page of your word and write them on our hearts that we might be changed, transformed into the likeness of Jesus himself. If there would be anything that would hinder that happening, I pray you would remove it. For we've come to see Jesus, to be taught by Jesus, to leave here more like Jesus. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, today, as you have recognized, this is Palm Sunday, a, a big day of celebration in the church. And uh, it was a powerful day, I believe, in the life of Jesus, where the curtain for a brief moment gets pulled back and people see him for more than who he appears to be. Finally, the crowd is on board. They have a a sense that this is someone special. But as special as it was in the life of Jesus, I want you to think with me for a moment how special it was in the life of the disciples. You see, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem and as people were waving in palm branches, the disciples were in that parade. They were beaming as well. They were probably high-fiving each other. Finally, this aha moment that people get that Jesus is somebody special and because they are with him, they are somebody special too. I imagine if they had Facebook or Twitter, it would be all over uh, their, their Facebook pages, pictures. They'd be high-fiving each other. If they had buttons, on their robes, they would be popping. This was a big day for them as well. The problem is it, it added to a little bit of the arguments that they were having amongst each other. You see, right before the parade starts, we're told in Matthew, the disciples are arguing on which one of them is the greatest. In fact, James and John got their mom involved. Hey, mom, go ask Jesus that when he comes into power, would you see if we could get on his right and on his left. They were salivating for what they saw, not only for Jesus, but what they saw for themselves. So it's, it's carrying over all through the week. It gets to be Thursday night to celebrate the Passover, and they gather for this very special meal. They did not know that it would be the last meal that they would share with Jesus before his arrest and crucifixion in the following days. The meal begins, it says. Now, I imagine 
as they're starting to eat, it occurs to them that they didn't wash their hands. And they didn't wash their hands because there wasn't a servant to wash their hands for them and their feet. And I'm told, or the understanding is, if there wasn't a servant, the first person there was supposed to then wash and serve the others who came. But we have no washing. Not one of the 12 took it upon themselves to humble themselves to wash not only the hands, but the feet of those who were reclining at the table. And it's not until the supper is pretty much done that Jesus gets up and he takes off his robe. He takes off his rabbi robe. He takes off his teacher's robe and disrobes to the point where he looks like a servant. Just there in the basic necessities of dress. And he picks up the pitcher and the bowl and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. He took off his teacher's robe and put on the garb of a servant. But you know, this isn't the first time that Jesus transformed himself from something great to something lesser. We're told by the Apostle Paul in his writing to the Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In fact, have this mind among you which you which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took off his divinity and became human, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul tells us he disrobed his divinity and became like us. He became human. And not only did he become human, he became a servant. And we learn from the writing of the Gospel of Mark Chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And so what does he do? He does what none of the disciples were willing to do. He takes off his robe and he humbled himself, and he washed their feet. 
It's an, an action that stunned them, stunned almost all of them to the point where they couldn't even speak. They, they, they didn't have a frame of reference for what Jesus was doing. In fact, if you look as I read, it seems that there's no example in ancient literature at all of a superior washing the feet of an inferior. It is incredible. Jesus did what no one else was willing to do. Why were they so silent? Because they knew they were not worthy. You see, in the day, the custom of a servant washing your feet did a couple of things. Washing the feet, it, because of the roads of the day, it was a way to care for a person. It was an act of service washing dusty feet. But it was not merely washing off the dust. It was also a, it, it, it was a gesture of honor and of respect. And Jesus honors his disciples. He shows them respect and don't miss the fact that Judas was among them. And that each of these set of feet that he was washing in a couple of hours, we're going to go in the other direction. They would desert him. They would betray their knowledge of him. Then it says that he got up from washing them and he put his robe back on. He now becomes the teacher, the rabbi, and he says these powerful words that we have heard so many times. When he had washed their feet and put his outer garments and resumed his place, put on his outer garments, resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right. For so I am. So, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Now, Jesus is not initiating a foot washing ministry or cult. He's instituting the way of a disciple, the way of a follower of his. And the way of a disciple is not of one of power and prestige. The way of a disciple is one of service. And we should treat each other in that way. And we're looking at promises in the upper room that Jesus made to his disciples that because we're followers of Jesus, those promises are for us as well. And with a servant heart, 
With servant actions comes a promise in the upper room. John 13, 16. Truly, truly, whenever a word is used uh, to accentuate itself, it is intensified. This is a pay attention kind of moment. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, here's the promise. Blessed are you if you do them. Now, notice Jesus doesn't say, blessed are you who know what you're supposed to do. Because if that was the case, all of us would be blessed. But that's not the promise. The promise of a blessing comes in not knowing what we are to do. The promise of blessing comes when we actually put into practice, when we do what we are supposed to do, we will be blessed. Now, this can be very confusing because it's not the way that we've grown up. It's not the way that we hashtag our blessings when they happen. Blessings for most of us, come when good things happen to us. That's the way we understand blessings. Somebody does something for you, and you know, oh, I am so blessed. For instance, I am so blessed to have 12 grandkids. They're awesome. I am also so blessed when they go home at the end of their visit. I am blessed as well. These are good things that happen to me. And it is the Old Testament understanding of blessings. Blessings are where God shows his goodness to you and good things happen. When he called Abram, who became Abraham. I'm going to bless you with offspring, something you're going to get, with land, something you're going to get, with a name that will be honored and all over the world through all of life, something you're going to get. God in the Old Testament, don't miss this, God in the Old Testament blessed people so people would see how great God is. Amen? Amen. Makes sense. He blessed Solomon so that people would see how great people, the Queen of Sheba came across the world because she wanted to see the goodness of Solomon's God and took part of that back with her. In the Old Testament, the invitation was come and see the way God blesses. And most of us celebrate that. And then comes this last meal. And then comes the teaching of Jesus at the last meal. Jesus changes blessings from the Old Testament come and see. That's how you're blessed. 
that Jesus now changes it, not come and see, but if you want to be blessed, you go and do. Do you see how radically different this is? You're blessed for what you will do for others. Blessing comes in doing, not in receiving. That's the promise. Do like Jesus did and you will be blessed. And you're thinking, how is that a blessing? Not only did he wash dirty feet, he went to the cross and he was crucified for others. How is that being blessed? But we are told in the scriptures that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That the cross was a means to a greater joy. <clears throat> to be blessed in the Bible means to be fully satisfied. Here's the surprise. Of the 112 times in the New Testament that the word blessed is used, it never is used because of a material thing that someone receives. That's a surprise to me. Blessing in the New Testament, in the kingdom of God, comes from giving, comes from serving. So we have a choice. Which one do you want to live in into eternity? Do you want to be in heaven saying, oh, when I was on earth, I was so blessed. We had a nice house and a nice car and I had a nice job. We lived in a nice neighborhood and we went to a nice church. Or in the kingdom of God for eternity, do you want to be fully satisfied because what you did made an eternal difference in the lives of those that you touched. In the lives of those that you and I served. John 13, 16 says, Truly, I truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. And in this text, Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out as a servant and you're going to serve like I served because you're not greater than your master. And I'm sending you out as a messenger and you go in my name that you might be blessed. And here's the second promise Truly, truly, in John 13, he says it again. Pay attention here. Don't miss this. This is part two. I, uh, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me 
receives the one who sent me. So what's he saying here? If you choose to serve, if you choose to humble yourself, if you choose to walk the path that I am walking with others, if you love as I have loved you, people will experience you and in experiencing the way you serve them, they will experience me. And in the way you serve them, that they experience me, they will also experience my Father in heaven. Do you know that? When we serve as Jesus did, when we humble ourselves to lift others up, we become the tangible presence of Christ in their lives. Through our service and love, they see Jesus. And through Jesus, they see the Father. Jesus says, they'll know you are mine, not because you wear a cross. They'll know you are mine, not because you have Jesus or Bible verses tattooed up and down your extremities. They will know you are mine by the way that you love and serve. And that's what I'm calling you to do. The way of the disciples is that we would love as Jesus loved. And you know where that starts? It starts here. He said, when you love one another the way I have loved you. He wasn't even talking about the world. He was talking inside the church. And in my early years, that was not my experience. I went to a particular church that made a big deal of giving the sign of peace to everybody during the service. We're stopping the service Turn around, peace be with you, peace be with you, and give them a sign of peace, which was all fine until you were fighting to get out of the parking lot. <laughs> then you gave each other another sign. <laughs> and it was not pretty. But it was so true. And I was talking to someone this week who went to that same church that I did. And he told me of a time where he was, he and his dad were leaving and as they pulled out, another car hit them and, and, and you know, they were in this traffic accident right outside the church parking lot. And he said, not a car stopped on the way out to see if we were okay. And the minister walked right by without checking on us. They will know you are real. A new commandment I give you, that you would love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. They will know you are who you are. They will know you are real and you will be blessed 
you will be blessed. You know, it had to stun the disciples. And I imagine if we really took it to heart, it would stun many of us in here because that's not how we orient our lives. Most of us count our blessings by all the good things that happen to us. And Jesus this night is saying, count your blessings by how low you will go to care, to serve, and to love someone else. He turned their world upside down. He turns our world upside down. And, and, and to help us understand what the, the real impact of this, he, he changes the paradigm of what it means to be blessed. And the word blessed here to mean, means to be fully satisfied. That's what the word blessed means. A paradigm is a pattern. Let, let, me, let me show you this. In, in baseball, all of you who are pretty familiar with the game, if you were at home plate, you were up to bat, you're going to hit a fair ball between first base and third base down those lines. Every other place is out of bounds. And all the red there is out of bounds. That's a foul ball. We understand fair territory is hitting the ball somewhere between first and third and into the stands. If I was to change the paradigm of baseball the way Jesus is changing the paradigm of blessings, it would be when you come up to the plate, foul would be anything between first and third, and the fair balls would be everything outside. That's a paradigm shift where everything you knew to be true is no longer true. Here's what Jesus is saying to the disciples and to us. God's blessings no longer are what you get from him. God's blessing. He designed us to be fully satisfied when we give and serve each other. If you think about that, this paradigm shift that he makes in this upper room, what he's calling the disciples to do is to give up everything they thought would bring them success and call that out of bounds in the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, if you want to rise up, then you kneel down and you serve. And if you and I do that, not only will we, be, will we be blessed, but people will see Jesus in us. This is a radical teaching. But look what happens to Jesus in that Philippians passage that said, he gave up his divinity. He humbled himself even to death, death on the cross. Philippians 2, 
beginning at verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus chose to be blessed in eternity versus the evil one's desire that he would be blessed in this life. What about you? What about me? As you hear the words of Jesus in the upper room, I give you a new covenant, not based on your performance, but on God's grace. He is the one that is responsible in your relationship to keep his side of the bargain. I give you a new command that you would love each other as I have loved you with humility. I tell you that there is joy even in the midst of difficulty because the difficulty doesn't have the last word. I tell you that there is a helper who comes alongside to encourage and to gift you and to empower you to do what you are called to do. I tell you, I have provided a way for you to abide, to get life from the vine as you are in this relationship with me. And I promise that in your service to others, I will be present in such a way that when you wash feet, when you serve, they will see me and my Father and you will be fully satisfied. You think about that. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, this is a hard teaching. It goes against some of our best desires because we are blessed people. But those blessings never fully satisfy. For your son taught us that to be fully satisfied in our blessings comes from giving and serving and loving as you have loved us. And I pray that we would live into that. And I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know that love of yours, may they discover it in the relationships we have with each other in here, in the way we serve, in the way we serve that person. May they hear the words, you are dearly loved, for Jesus gave his life that you might be in a relationship with your heavenly father. Thank you for this day, for this week. May we live the new paradigm that Jesus calls us to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.